Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Nick. Hello. And uh, sadly, we're missing Warren today. Um, but uh, Warren, we hope to have you next uh, next time, next time around. And, we uh, sadly, we, we missed the Warren. Yes, everything's better with the Warren. Um, That's right. <laughs> we're excited about our guest today, and, and, and we're excited about the show. And I, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit kind of, I'm really interested about this topic because I, I feel like this is a topic that I don't know all that much about. And so I'm, uh, I'm really excited because I'm hope, I'm hopeful that I'm going to be able to come away with from this with you know uh, incredible uh, knowledge here. So mm. Nick, uh, how about you introduce our, our guest for us today? Well, thank you, Chris. And and you you're quite right that this is a topic that most of us in in IT, even in information security, know perilously little about. And I say perilously because there are things that we should actually know about that pass us by and that affect us and we don't know about it. And with that, there's a very mysterious introduction that I'm doing to Rufaru Warinda. Hello, Rufaru, and welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hope everyone's doing well. Excited to be here, as always. Yeah, doing, doing well. You know, this is it's a cool episode for me because um, it's, it's just after 5 p.m., uh, here in Sydney, so I, I'm not up at 4 a.m. or some other weird hour <laughs> to yes. record this, like I typically am, right? So I like it when we have guests that are sort of in the EMEA time zone because it's a little bit easier for me. So, um, but yeah, doing doing pretty good. <laughs> so what's uh, what's been going on, uh, Nick and Rafara? What have you guys been up to over the last little bit? I think it's definitely been a little while since we've kind of connected. Oh, absolutely, and uh, the, I think so many things have have happened that. Um, you think what's happening in, in COVID land and, um, you know, Chris, you, you think you might have COVID at the moment, but you seem to be doing all right. And uh, we, we generally getting on with the world. There's um, a lot of, uh, with a rebranding that's just happened with uh, Microsoft and Purview. It's like, really? Really? Did yeah. we have to reprint all this <laughs> yeah. frustration around what is this product I called know. now? And we got you yeah. to Defender. And that's the purview stuff. And, uh, and, 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 and I was, world. Sorry, Chris. I was saying I was just having a conversation with the customer about all of that stuff. Um, and then the very next day, there was a rebranding that made 75% of my prior conversation completely obsolete. And I had to go back to them and go, Absolutely. about that thing we said yesterday, uh, let's, let's, let's revisit that conversation. And Tony wrote uh, a grumpy article about it, or it, it appears to be grumpy in the title. But so Tony, I'm referencing uh, Tony Redmond, and he actually wrote a, a relatively well written um, why does this happen and where does it make sense article. So I, I'm more than happy to refer folks to, to that one on Practical 365 to, to check that out. And what I like about Tony's writing is that he does reflect the real world view of but why did we need to do this and but where's the silver mm. lining and the possible benefit so um, mm. I think that that does come with the 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 benefit of the maturity that he's had in the industry for a while and and to be fair mm. he can be grumpy about whatever he wants to be grumpy about because he can be mm. Mm. yeah and you know I think um, uh, Mary Jo and Paul Thoreau uh, they also had some some commentary on that on the Windows Weekly last week too. So, you know, everyone's kind of scratching their heads just a little bit. But hey, you know, we're trying to get back to 
life as it uh, you know as it was um and and i think what's exciting about that is like conferences are coming back you know mm. like we've been talking about how much we want to have in person get togethers again and, and conferences yeah. are coming back and and i wanted to you know uh, you know I, I don't think the guys at, at comms v next will um will mind me talking about their conference but I, it came across my twitter feed yesterday um, and, and I kind of saw it and I thought, wow, this is, this is cool. They're doing it an in-person conference and it's, so it's comms V next and it's a Microsoft UC conference. Um, there've, there've been a few of them. Um, and, uh, I've never Where personally it, attended Chris? one. It's in Colorado, it's in Denver, uh, and they're mm. doing it in, in August. So it's the 16th and 17th of August. Um, and I, you know, it's a community conference. So obviously there are going to be a lot of MVP speakers there and Mike, you know, um, a lot of folks from the community. And I think it's something like the you know uh, to start to to register um, if you do the early registration I think it's like ninety nine bucks or something ninety nine US dollars for mm-hmm. for a ticket which is you know as far as these conferences goes is is pretty good value so I figured I'd I'd give a shout out uh, to these guys and if you're kind of interested nice I'll put a uh, link in the in the show notes comsvnext.com I'm I'm hoping to be able to make this actually I'm 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 thinking that I might. Um, make the trip over i was i was already planning to attend defcon 30 which is like mm. the weekend before that um and so now it'll be a much you know much nicer trip i can do defcon and then i can go to comsby next so really excited about in-person conferences in case you can't tell mm. yeah. <laughs> don't blame me <laughs> so uh, speaking of being excited rufaru is um an extraordinary person and i had the pleasure of meeting rufaru a couple of months ago and he is excited about the things that actually leave a lot of us in a cold sweat, if I can just be be quite blunt about that, because he does something really well that most of us are quite frightened about, and, and that is compliance. If, when you ask, well, what kind of compliance, I think his answer would be very close to the uh, rebel without a cause, James Dean quote, is like, well, what have you got to rebel against? And he <laughs> is like... What do you need to be compliant to? And I've had the the pleasure with working with Rufaru and the the, the auditor mindset that he brings to, to projects is just astounding. So by way of introduction, Rufaru, why don't we allow you to introduce yourself and you can tell us unashamedly what you are excited <laughs> about and how... A spreadsheet that you spent years creating was ruined by a portal that got released by surprise. Yeah, wow. Firstly, um, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for the introduction, Nick. It's great to meet you, Chris. And um, yeah, I guess I'm all things compliant, I guess. Um, To allude to what Nick is speaking about with the whole spreadsheet that was deemed obsolete, Essentially, what, uh, what I take an interest to is, is essentially mapping um, different compliance regulations um, across the board, specifically, specifically talking to tech and IT, um, and mapping them against each other and seeing where their similarities lie and seeing what the optimum control, the optimum implementation is for any one um, compliance regulation or framework. So, for example, you have CIS and you have ISO 27001. Um, so it would be a matter of um, knowing that CIS is uh, a better regulation or a better framework to follow if you're more into device management, endpoint management. And ISO 27001 is better to follow if you're more into risk, business continuity, 
um, asset management as well, access control. Um, so it's a matter of, of, of figuring out what is the most optimum um, regulatory framework. But today, specifically, we're going to zero in on ISO 27001. And I will tell you why it is so important that we zero in on this today. Um, the portal that Nick is speaking to or alluding to, again, is Compliance Manager, which now sits within Microsoft Purview. <laughs> so world's turned upside down. <laughs> Thanks, Microsoft, again. And essentially, the, the regulatory framework, so I'll just give a bit of background about the framework itself. Um, so ISO actually stands for in the International Organization for Standardization. and not So it's not, it's not an acronym. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that the difference between legislative requirements and um, sort of regulatory is that legislative, you don't have a choice. This is the law is saying you've got to do this, right? Like we have Poppy in South Africa, personal information, it aligns to GDPR, you, you can't get away from it, right? Um, ISO 27001 mostly speaks to um, sort of the quality of the implementation that you're giving and why it's so important for us is it talks about information security. Um, and, and IT, obviously, that is such a big thing. Um, so we can talk to a whole bunch of different controls, a whole bunch of different requirements, but the, the end goal is information security. So the, the regulation, um, or the standard rather, um, the last update or prior to 2022 was 2013. And all these years, we've essentially been working off the same requirements then. Now, from 2013 to 2022, tech and IT has changed quite a lot, right? And um, Microsoft's done an amazing job in creating this portal that essentially helps implementers um, or regulators rather within organizations. So essentially what, what they do is um, you've got improvement actions um, and actual implementations for each, each of the uh, various controls. And you can actually align that to specific Microsoft um, products or um, Microsoft implementations. For example, you secure access is one. We know Microsoft is big on zero trust, and um, MFA can be directly directly linked to Annex nine point um, Annex nine point one point one point two, I think, um, within ISO twenty seven thousand and one, and that speaks on access control. So if you bang in your um, MFA, you essentially meet the requirement, and that's how it goes essentially um, for endpoint management, talking to Intune, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, the big thing is that Microsoft has assessment templates, which talk to these improvement controls, but what they currently have is still aligned to 20, 27,001, 2013. And this year, the standard was updated to obviously accommodate cloud computing, and it's now on 2022. So what I thought would be fun was to sort of beat Microsoft at their own game and get to the point where we're mapping the various controls against the tech before they do. And eventually when they, when they release the update, updates, we, we can compare ourselves. And if we feel as though they've lacked somewhere, we can you know, speak to them and ask them, hey guys, what do you think about this? And that's essentially what I've been working on for the better part of a month or so. And yeah, just to give some context, there are 11 new controls. Um, and and these, these controls are massive and they, they, speak, they specifically talk to cloud computing. So what I'll do is I'll go through each control and we'll make this a little bit of a challenge, right? And I'll put to you guys what you think, what you would use within the full Microsoft suite to actually fulfill or um, satisfy that requirement. So if I was an auditor, for example, and I'm coming in and I'm asking you the question, 
right? And we'll start off with the first control, and that is threat, threat intelligence. So I'll give a description, and then I'll open the floor, and then we'll move on from there and see how far we can get. All right, fair enough. You guys, well, Chris, this is right. I, I bet you didn't, you didn't expect this at <laughs> the show, right? No. I didn't, but I have an advantage because I'm pretty sure that, that the answer is going to start with Defender or Purview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so let's, let's get straight into it. Um, so the first one is um, Annex 5.7. Don't worry about the actual referencing. Just worry about the wording, and that's threat intelligence. So the description goes, this control requires you to gather information about threats and analyze them in order to take appropriate mitigation actions. This information could be about particular attacks, about methods and technologies the attackers are using and or about attack trends. You should gather this information internally as well as from external sources like vendor reports, um, government, government agency announcements, et cetera. So what Microsoft, what Microsoft solutions are we proposing? Off the top of your head. That, <laughs> what would you, cause it's not, it's not one, thing though i mean you wouldn't exactly you know oh, you yeah. wouldn't first say point, that it's 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 sentinel it's mix. or it's you know what exactly. i mean it's not going to be one thing it's going to be it's going to be multiple things that work together to to kind of achieve the, that result mm -hmm. including edr exactly. and xdr so that yes. is that you've got uh, defender for office 365 which gives you yes. signaling from a male point of view so you, you understand what's what's potentially happening there then, of course, if we're talking about threat intelligence, you want to look at what we used to call CASB, which is uh, Defender for Cloud, so that you can instrument what your users are doing. So talking to insider threats as well as external threats, because uh, Defender for Cloud implicitly uh, includes controls for things like malware and malware execution. So if files get uh, renamed to .encrypt and you've got whatever thresholds uh, there are within a certain time frame. So this is, uh, and what's nice about this control is that depending on the amount of money that you've spent in the Microsoft stack tells you what you could potentially switch on or off, but you can meet this control without being licensed up to the hilt. And that's, I think, one of the, the, um, the benefits of the work that Rufaro has done is that he's able to tell us well, depending on how much money you've spent and, and what license you've got, you can still be compliant without having to spend absolutely everything on your entire budget on an M365 E5 with uh, mm. um, E5 uh, or EMS, what used to be called EMS E5 uplift, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Man. And, and so that's, how do we do it, It did really well. I was actually wondering, um, I mean, I've got a... Um, document here and I've, it's, it's actually got a great illustration of, of what you guys were talking about it's got the triage tier from tier one to tier three it does go through um um a defender for endpoints defender for office 365 for identity mm. and it does mention xdr and so really really well done like that's it's i mean but what what, <laughs> what else are we expecting yeah what else what else are we expecting from the panel that we have here so this gets a fail just, <laughs> and just and just to just to sort of get gauge the the context of, of what just happened um, right now is that we're essentially, we have the responsibility to, to bridge two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. And you have regulators on one side who would have had absolutely no idea about what you guys were just talking about and the relevance yes. of it. 
and how it's mm. auditable and how it actually meets the requirement of the control based off of information security. Mm. Because at the mm. end of the day, threat intelligence is there to prevent um, external breaches and as well as internal um, leakages. So mm. to, to, to bridge that gap to someone who comes in and someone who works in legal or in compliance or in internal auditing mm. or in risk is essentially why I'm here and why I exist and why I have to play on both sides of the fence and uh, in, in understanding their world so much as understanding our world and bringing mm. the two together and actually being able to implement um, the relevant controls and see also where they're lacking. Because that also gives mm. great, great indication and great direction for the people that develop these solutions to understand mm. that it's not really just about getting to the point of compliance. It's about actually achieving the point of information security, which is what we're all here to do. So um, while we while we attempt to get Nick back, we can <laughs> yes. talk about it. You know, this, this happens, have, right? That yeah, load shedding just, probably or something. Yeah, um, I, was, I was about to say, it's probably, it's, it's load shedding in, in SA, so, so. So, I mean, obviously this is this is a super interesting topic and I, and, and I can definitely see why having someone who can kind of bridge the gap or, you know, speak to both sides of the, the business makes yeah. a lot of lot of sense, right? Um, yeah. But I, I feel like a lot of the, the challenge that organizations face with ticking these um, control boxes is that oftentimes they have a policy, like if they have a policy, because yes. a lot of them don't, um, yeah. or they, they say they do, but, but they really don't have anything formalized. That yeah. policy has been sitting in a, in a drawer somewhere or on exactly. a file share somewhere yeah. for years and hasn't been updated at all, right? Because yeah. it's amazing how many folks don't keep, keep up with, um, with the changes in these. Now, obviously from 2013 to 2022 is a fairly long, like it's a, it's a long time that it hasn't changed, but other exactly. frameworks, for example, like NIST, NIST changes regularly, right? Exactly. And it's amazing yeah. how often you speak to a customer about, um, you know, Password compliance, for example, right? And then they, yeah. well, yeah, we're following all the NIST, the NIST guidelines as far as password compliance goes. And then um, they're following like three versions back, right? And exactly. it hasn't occurred to them that um, there is an update. You, yeah, there's an update, and that this is not this is not a set and forget situation. Like exactly. to, to stay compliant, it has to be you know almost like following a cycle where you're exactly. constantly yeah. improving. Yeah. So I bet that keeps you very busy. Yeah, I know it, it definitely does. It always keeps you keeps you on your toes as well. I mean, um, in the world that we work, when my, every time Microsoft releases an update, we sort of have to mm. just conform. So mm. we're, I'm used to that cycle of continuous improvement. But it's it's mm. funny that you mentioned that because that's actually a requirement within the standard itself. I mean, Clause Ten purely talks about continuous improvement and how mm. compliance is never a destination. It's always um, a, a, a process that you constantly mm. go over and constantly go through. And it's it's we do get caught up in yeah well I follow I follow the the regulation and, and and this is what it says and this is how I get to that and you know people just sort of that's where people get stuck when you're doing it for the sake of audit being audit ready I call it audit compliance because all you're doing is uh, not to improve the business but just to, you know just to be um, audit compliance and mm. uh, the, the the big control actually I think I'm gonna move it along um, and and there there are two of them because these. Like, like Chris just mentioned, where there's a policy that it's, pro it's probably been sitting in a drawer for ages and ages and ages, and no one actually thinks about it. And um, the implementation for that, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is then lost and then dumbfounded. So um, in this case, <clears throat> excuse me, 
In this case, you have um, what I, what, what's called an informa information management policy. Now, in the olden days, what we used to do is um, you'd have uh, an, an information tag or you'd um, have an information label that says that this information is confidential. Only top management is allowed to see this document. We put a big stamp on it. It says confidential and big red. And everyone knows, okay, I'm not authorized to touch that. It gets locked up in the cabinet somewhere. It gathers dust or it's used frequently. And the people who are supposed to refer to it refer to it, right? Company financials used to be done um, on hard, hardcover books. I don't know if you guys remember those, those 400 page hardcover books with all the blocks in them. And that's how accountants used to work. But the world's changed now, right? Mm -hmm. We've got um, the full Office 365 suite and people are now utilizing document management. We go as far as SharePoint, we've got intranets, we've got workflows, we've got teams linking in the back to SharePoint and we've got a much more collaborative space. And by virtue of that, people have a lot more access to information by default, right? And the challenge was how do we regulate this and how do we make sure we preserve what the information management policy says where um, this, this, this policy or this, this set of documentation is internal use only or it's confidential or it's completely restricted and only a subset of a number of subset of people can actually use it. So um, ISO 27001 was lacking in this regard and in, in, in trying to give the direction of, for people on how to implement this specific requirement or this specific control um, with the 20, 2013 version because it was just a requirement for an information management policy. And that was a mandatory requirement and the policy is there, but the, the management and the implementation was sort of where it was hitchy and where it was sticky. So we have two new controls that have come up. First one, information deletion. And the second one is data mask, right? So with in, I'll start with information deletion and the description goes as follows. This control requires you to delete data when no longer required in order to avoid leakage of sensitive information and to enable compliance with privacy and other requirements. This could include deletion in your IT, IT systems, removable media, or cloud services. Wow. So, That's yeah. non-trivial. So, <laughs> yeah, Chris. All those, all those buckets, man. All those AWS buckets that are just sitting out there. Someone's <laughs> oh, going to have to delete some of them sometime. <laughs> but did you hear removable media, Chris? And yeah. what is yeah. your strategy to deal with uh, the risk of information that's out there that you, you don't even have a, a catalog of? You know, we, and we think, uh, okay, probably I've got an encrypted file on, on a USB stick, so I don't care. But how much stuff have you got that you just share with someone really quickly, be it mm. via an anonymous URL or you've copied it on, on a drawer full of USB sticks? I think like we yeah. all have those, right? Or in bags or mm. we, we lose them in the parking lot. So uh, these are, are real, real challenges. And... Yeah. Uh, what I want to come back to is sometimes we are in the position where compliance is a is a grudge thing, right? Because as Rafari says, I'm doing compliance to pass audit. However, I have spoken to CISOs that do security for mines, as an example. And mm. one of the, the comments came back to me was that if we are out of compliance, people die. Yes. And that's that's pretty sobering. Uh, we have mm. customers who own nuclear reactors. Think about them being out of compliance and the engineering drawings to a nuclear reactor appearing on OneDrive shared anonymously because there's no control around that information. 
And that mm. while that may seem dramatic, a few months ago now, I'm trying to remember where we are in the year, there was an accident in Russia where miners died. And it turns mm. out that the compliance certificate was falsified because they actually didn't want to do the inspection. So they just blanket passed Went it and said, it. yes, we, we, yeah. we're compliant, right? And then a couple of weeks later, people were being pulled out of mine shafts having ex, as, ex, fix, asphyxiated, that's a difficult mm. word, and they, they died because yeah. someone didn't care to actually follow the, the letter of compliance. And where we are in the, the world today, and uh, I think Rufaru has moved out of audit land into IT land and, and been here long enough because he used to be yeah. an, an auditor, but now he talks to customers about, well, what do I actually need to do? Yeah. Tell me, what do I actually need to do? And he's been there long enough to be able to give the, the kind of real world advice, which is why I wanted to bring him on this show, to sure. make the point that compliance isn't just there as a luxury. Compliance yeah. is the kind of thing that if you take your information security seriously in any regard, you need to know where to start. And a mm -hmm. compliance framework will give you that, where do I start adulting? You know, what, what are my, my framework, my rules? Where do I begin? It gives you that yeah. place to start where you, you have something that you can reference, that you can measure, and you mm -hmm. know how well or how badly you're doing. It doesn't give you guarantees, doesn't say that you're never going to be hacked or, or leaked or whatever, but it does give you that guideline of how do I begin to be a responsible adult with the stuff that's been entrusted to me. Rufar, yeah. is that so, fair? Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, Chris, you have a. I like I like how you how you break that down. But so, mm. but let's let's just say that you're like what happens before that, right? Before you start adulting, like you got to be a teenager, right? How do you decide even on a framework to follow? Because I feel like that in mm -hmm. itself. Because there are so many question. frameworks, right? I think here in Australia, we have something called Essential 8, uh, which I'm just learning about now, having oh. spent a lot of time uh, in the US dealing with NIST and CIS, right? And so now yeah. being back here, folks are talking a slightly different language because there's, there's other frameworks here. Um, now, obviously, they've all got certain commonalities in them, right? And some of the controls mm -hmm. are on, on the same or similar. Um, I've always, whenever I've always been asked this question in the past by, by a customer, like, hey, I have nothing right now. Where do I start? Yeah, I start. My, yeah. my kind of, my answer to them has always been, look, I think CIS is a really good way to get into the, like the mindset of what you need to do, unless mm -hmm. you have a reason to, you know, if, you, if you're doing business with another company and they require you to be ISO certified or compliant, then obviously that's an easy answer, mm -hmm. right? But what happens yeah. if you don't have that? Like, is there yeah. a better answer to the one and, I've just given? What do you think? Yeah, and 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 what I think is, um, we when people talk about compliance and, and and sort of aligning to a framework, we look too far out when the answer really is sitting right in your organization most of the time. So, um, my number one rule is have a risk-based approach. Now, what that means is see where where your bread is buttered right how do you make your money how does your business run what is your when you talk and you have to align to and you have to talk to business continuity a little bit so if you're a mine right um what essentially what what is our purpose right to mine minerals and how do we do that and and when you get to the how do we do that part it starts talking to your processes your policies your procedures what processes you guys actually follow to achieve that goal 
right? And you start, and when you look and you dumb down and look at those specific policies and processes, you start seeing that, hey, this one is quite important. This one is, this is something like, if we don't do this, we don't mine gold. And that's the end of it. The business closed and the business shuts, shuts its doors. So the, what I always encourage organizations to do is look at where your bread is buttered. Find where, how, what, what, your, what the goal of your business is and what your business actually does. Um, so for example, a data center will be more inclined to uh, be aligned to CIS because of purely how it's, how it's, it's more um, device management, endpoint management, and how it's more in tune and in depth than that, where a consulting firm that works mostly in the cloud would look mostly towards something like um, ISO 27001, ITOR, Corbett, et cetera. So it's about starting internally and, and building up from that, right? And when you're looking at the top-down effect of what's required of me, so the, the, the question is, how do we, um, um, how do we, how do we become com compliant within our organization? But if you want to look at it, you can also look at it from a top-down approach and see what's required of me um, to actually function to the best of my ability within this industry, right? And that starts up top with the law because no one has a choice to follow the law. And once you've looked at the, 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 regu uh, the legislative requirements, you've come down a level below and see what regulatory frameworks there are out there. Um, and then below that, you would look at your policies and your, and your procedures. So there, there's essentially a breadcrumb trail to follow and it becomes quite self-explanatory. You'll find in a lot of industries where if you have that mindset, and it also, it also, um, it also relates across if you're, um, with, with Microsoft as well, if you're working within compliance manager, because the data protection baseline assessment that they give you has 3,084 controls. If I'm not mistaken, there might be more, there might be less now. But I mean, if you're, if you're a mid to small size organization, you're not going to be, you're not necessarily going to be required or need to implement all 3,000 of those controls. And Microsoft gives you this big compliance score at the end of it. And um, it says, okay, cool, you're compliant, but it's a process of continuous improvement, like we'd mentioned. So it's really important to see what's most important to you um, as an organization, because when you are now tasked with implementing a framework and aligned to your ISO 27001s, your Corbett, your ITILs, your SOCs, um, it's, it's, it, it can be overwhelming because there's, there's a lot to cover. But if you literally look at the risk factor, right, um, you quickly see that, okay, this is, this is quite important. I'll make the example of um, the banking industry, right? They have PCI DSS, uh, the card payment industry data standard that they have to comply to, right? So with that, you can already see that personal information and unique identifiers become quite important because that's literally the bread and butter of that industry, right? Um, a lot of security questions to authenticate users, to get into their accounts, bank numbers, um, ID numbers, they're all integrated in there and it's, and it's, that's literally the treasure chest because if any of those things uh, are breached or any of those things are leaked, um, that's essentially game over. So you, you will get to know um, and, and, and it's, it's a good thing to do research as well, like, use, like how, we, how we operate in tech as well. Use cases, mm -hmm. these, are, these are relevant in, in the compliance world as well. So if there's, if there's an, an, another data center or there's another um, compliance, um, or another, um, oh, just lost the word now, another um, consulting firm, excuse me, um, out there that's done, the, that's been walked this road before you, that's a use case example. You know, pull, pull, their, pull their, their, their information there. I know there are a bunch of articles that are put forward. Um, Microsoft also has a, a bunch of number of articles from different auditing firms that have audited them externally. 
and you can use that essentially to get on your on your on your bike i guess and start riding down this path of mm. compliance greatness now now back back to back to the the two controls that i was talking about um and i i think this will this will this will really show the level of importance of this because the issue that i have is that the requirement to implement these controls isn't necessarily on it's shoulders and that's that's the thing so the guys that work in IT mostly worry about your managed services tasks, the sort of onboarding, offboarding, um, you know, I can't get into my computer, what do I do type of thing. And, and that's the typical thing within IT in an organization. And obviously I'm dumbing it down because we do a lot of important, important work. Um, but the, the requirement for information management mostly falls on, on legal and internal audit, right? So enabling these users, because you actually have the ability to assign the, the responsibility for these controls within your tenant, I'm compliance manager, to relevant administrators and give them the relevant administrative access to be able to execute those duties that they need to follow, right? So we're talking about um, information deletion and that requires you to delete data when it's no longer required, right? And lo and behold, Microsoft has information governance, which is this amazing thing that automatically fixes and sorts this problem out because you can set retention policies on uh, specific containers, uh, locations, user mailboxes, um, what have you, teams, for example, as well. And that retention policy protects you from two things. The first thing is, like, for example, we're mentioning the building design drawings, where at some point we may need to refer these drawings, um, refer to these drawings for maybe the next 15 years or for the next 30 years. Um, and we have to have them preserved to make sure that no one deletes them, right? So you implement a retention policy, it holds it in there um, and it archives it, holds it in a, in a container, and you're able to then pull from that um, as and when and if needed, right? Um, and we can go into the detail of that, but for the purpose of this um, conversation, we'll, we'll move right along. Um, and the next one is, for, I'll make the example of Poppy. And now Poppy, uh, Poppya in, in, in South Africa is the relevant, is, is mostly aligned to GDPR and talks mostly to personally, personally, personally identifiable information and personal information. And um, we have rights, I have rights, you have rights as to how long somebody is allowed to keep your personal information for, be it medical records, be it your identification, be it your account numbers, whatever it is, right? And the, the actual requirement out of the, 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 the legislation states that um, you shall not keep personal records for longer than what is necessary, right? Now that's very broad, but at the same time, it also forces the organization to look into how long do we need to keep people's information for, right? And, and, and you, you, you run into this, this, this wall where there's a lot of waffle that's kept unnecessarily and in, in, and, and, and like we mentioned with Microsoft, assume breach and you have zero trust policies that you could have, if you're a consulting firm, for example, this is very, very big because you have multiple clients that trust you with their information, be it access into their tenants, be it users, um, et cetera. You get to a point eventually once you've offboarded and you've finished with a, with a, with a customer, maybe you've kept, you've kept their folder structure in your SharePoint um, and I mean, for, for, for archiving purposes as well, you've kept it in your SharePoint facility or in your intranet, and it, it's then forgotten for eight, eight to 10 years. And you, and, and you know, God forbid, there's, there's an information breach and someone gets into all of that. You can't even chase the bed, breadcrumbs to say, what, what's been stolen, what's been taken? How vulnerable were we when this happened? And 
all of a sudden you're caught in a, in a situation where you've given this client an assurance to protect their information, but we're now eight, 10 years down the line and say, hi, remember me? Um, just wanted to let you guys know that this has yes. happened. And the question that, that, would, that, then, that they would ask is, why do you still have all of this information? And now you are now prosecutable by law. So information deletion is quite a handy thing as well. And also for the sake of um, migration purposes as well, um, since I also work in that space, get rid of the stuff that you don't need. And if you know it's something that you're going to forget or um, not refer to much, set a retention policy on there and it can delete and it can retain and it can do what it needs to do at the end of that life cycle. It can mm. be, it can be, mm. it, you know, it can be fixed. So. It, it's an interesting, the whole sort of deletion retention conversation is a really interesting one when you, especially when you work or have worked in the email space like Nick and I have, right, for a long time yeah. because... We, we went from this sort of um, process where on-premises disk was expensive. So people yes. were Nazis about quotas and, and getting rid of information or taking information out of the original storage location and putting it in a cheaper place. And then we mm -hmm. went into the cloud where everyone now has like this massive mailbox that everyone sees as, a, as, as basically a target, right? Like I'm going to yes. fill this thing up. Um, and a lot of companies don't bother to, to be stringent about, you know, quotas and, and you know yeah. the governance of of the data um I, I did some work with a customer a few years ago and their stance was everything in a mailbox gets deleted after three months um mm. unless uh, you know and 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 the argument was because i said like i love it except that's really like three months is not a lot of time right and and there was a you know the, the guy i was talking to said well look there's a there's a couple things here one co corporate data that is important that needs to be retained shouldn't be an email should it should be, be in, a, in, a, in an archive somewhere else right and two um we delete stuff because if we don't have it then we can't provide it in any form of exactly. legal proceeding <laughs> and exactly. i thought it was a crazy answer but that that's their stance right because i mean look they're a massive multinational company and they're just like that's how that's how we do it it's like if it's older than three months we don't have it because it's been deleted for sure so very interesting conversation. I think it's definitely something that we need to get back to having those conversations with our customers. Like, hey, what are you actually doing about data retention? Because data, mm. data is everywhere now. It's not just the stuff in SharePoint or the stuff on, you know, if you still have file servers and file shares or email boxes, it's, it's everywhere. Data, we've got data in Teams now. We've got data. It's, I mean, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and we have metadata, right? So we have, and we had this yeah. on a previous show where we discussed that our vendors have got metadata on us, which is um, gives them the, the the ability to infer behavior. And of course, that's what we, we look at with Viva. The very premise of Viva is that Viva knows what we're doing and is therefore able to recommend health habits to our yeah. upstream managers based on our working behavior or the fact that we click on, on an email after working hours. So question mm. to you, Chris, is that you know, I purposely had you walk into this conversation cold because, and it was a little bit of a setup because you are a respected and a certified information security professional. And you. I don't know about respected, did, but, but we'll take uh, it. <laughs> so, well, let's, well, let's just go with certified then. So you are, you're a certified professional, right? And a lot of the times, you would drown in detail, but without necessarily being able to abstract up to 
what we used to look at as a grudge, which is blah, compliance, mm. right? Why do I mm. care about compliance? So let me ask you on the, the other side of this, where are you at in terms of how your perceptions towards compliance are potentially shifting? Look, I definitely, I definitely think there's been a shift in my mindset uh, of compliance over the last few years, right? It's certainly the more work I've been doing in, in, in the security space has got me thinking differently about compliance. Because I think also when you come out of the IT pro space and that's your, your vantage point, mm. you're used to ticking the boxes, right? Mm. A lot of the times you're going through the motion just to tick a box and you know you got to do that once a year or whatever the case is and 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 oftentimes it you know you end up spending money to tick that box right you buy xyz platform that is gonna that advertises it can tick those boxes for you um yeah. but i think once you kind of move out of that and you start shifting your view a little bit and start looking a little bit more uh, at how do you help the business um manage risk and, and things like that. I think you start looking at these things a little bit differently. Oftentimes they're enablers, right? And I, and I think, mm. you know, if we go back to um, our data security conversation from, from, you know, a few months ago with, uh, with Ernie Anderson, a lot of the times you have to take that approach, you know, start from the top and look down and say, um, what are we trying to do here, right? And mm -hmm. how, how does this fit in with what we as a business are looking to achieve? So, you know, Rafa, I loved how you kind of broke down or distilled the, like where do, where do you start, right? Yeah. Because if you know if I'm a, an IT consultancy business and my brother is an accountant, chances are we're not going to start at the same place because yeah. you know what I mean. Like we have different things yeah. that yeah. mean different things to to different things are important to him and that are yeah. to me. But also, um, you know, we, we have different risks, right? Um, mm. And this is uh, the, this conversation is so interesting just because of the time that it's kind of come up, right? I'm at, I'm in the process yeah. at the moment of dealing with tons of like just insurance stuff and business insurance stuff and business risk <laughs> stuff associated to insurance and like insurance companies drive me crazy and reading all this legal jargon that it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so this is great because this is, uh, this kind of adds context to a lot of the mm. reason these questions are being asked of you, right? Mm. No, a hundred percent. And I, and I, and I think it's, it's, it's quite important as well. It's, it's nice that you mentioned, um, on how it's it, it it's it's a tick box it uh it's a tick box exercise for most of the people that work in, in our space because you're just trying to get it done and you know and you're you're willing to pay money just to tick those boxes and one of the other things Nick mentioned was um and it's it's another one of my my hobbies I guess maybe Microsoft wouldn't be too happy about it but nonetheless we continue um and I look at all all of the I look at what an E5 license gives you and an E3 license gives you right and all the the special the, the added featuring, the, the nice shiny things that an E5 license gives you and see how could you get, how could you get to the same goal, even if it takes you longer, and it's a bit more strenuous. How could you get to the same goal using an E3 license? And what that does is it infers the mentality of thinking about the problem first before mm -hmm. running out to find um, a solution yeah. or take implementation for it, right? And you, yeah. and you, and you get this quite a lot where um, companies will have multiple applications to sort of complete this holistic um, security, um, um, trying to, to, to secure the organization holistically, but it's actually, it increases your risk because you've, you've, you've created so many more points of vulnerability where they're all not centralized and all, all not talking to each other, where something is bound to fall through the cracks. Now, I'm not saying that um, 
it's it, we shouldn't federate uh we shouldn't federate identities from somewhere else and use cyber and all these great technologies what i'm saying is that you need to think about when you're expanding on your uh, security application suite or the number of features that you that you go into are you solving the problem or are you just creating more vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and, and that's 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 a conversation to 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 to, to help to have as well but again um Moving on um, to the second control. But before you move on to that control, I just want to point out that one of the risks that I talk to customers about is having licenses for products that actually aren't configured. Because now you've got capability which is actually unmanaged, and the unmanaged capability is actually risk. It's a vulnerability, yeah, exactly. It's it's as simple as that. Thanks, thanks, (laughs) So um, the second control, and I think you guys would enjoy this one. You'd actually like, this is where we, the fun starts, right? So the description reads, um, this control requires you to use data masking together with access control in order to limit the exposure of sensitive information. This primarily means personal data because they are heavily regulated through privacy regulations, but it could also include other categories of sensitive data. Now, what we deem as sensitive information is that scope is huge, right? Because it's essentially, are we talking about the identity of a user or is it a certain asset in the business? What are we, what are we actually alluding to here? All and of the above, because, right? Exactly, right? And, and, and that's the thing. So if, when I looked at this control within the Microsoft suite and what it offers, there's actually a long list. And I'm going to go through all of it and then we can have a conversation. Um, after that, obviously. Um, so, right. So, with information protection, and this is protecting your data, to apply flexible protection actions that include encryption, access restrictions, and visual markings, um, and using the following capabilities. So, here we go, right? We're ready. We've got sensitivity labels. We have Azure information protection, unified labeling clients. We've got double encryption keys, Office 365 message encryption service encryption with customer key, SharePoint information rights, IRM, rights management connector, um, Azure information protection unified labeling scanner, Microsoft Defender for cloud apps, Azure purview, (laughs) and Microsoft information protection SDK. So that's, and I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? We can- Chris, you could spend a year switching that on. (laughs) I I actually did spend, a good amount of time uh, switching a lot of those things on for, for a customer in Europe uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, and then there's, conti- you know, if you talk about the product too, like there's, there's the changes that are being made to the, the client now because there's a new mm-hmm. AIP client coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and these things are kind of starting to merge and blend into one. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say, you could have also called this control, uh, don't end up on Troy Hunt's website. That could, yeah, <laughs> that's enough of a of a <laughs> of a deterrent because most people now know if you wake up in the morning and you've got an email from from have I been pwned, there's been trouble somewhere. Yeah, mm. yeah, hundred mm. percent. And um, I mean, the, we we we've touched on a few. We've touched on a few of these controls, and um, I will share I will share the document where it goes in depth with with each one of them and the the relevant Microsoft products um, that you can use or the, the the tooling that you can use to execute those. But I think. It's also a good idea for organizations to don't just run straight to my um, compliance manager because that will be overwhelming. Even for someone like me who, who appreciates and who, who delves the, uh, head, um, head first into, into this work, it was 
very overwhelming to look at exports of 3000 controls because these are implementations that do span across, right? Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. it's very important for organizations to, to look internally and see um, what our requirements are. So if, we're, if we'd looked at the control, right? And I did it purposefully for us to look at the control first and have us think about, okay, what would I use to execute this, right? And the process of continuous improvement may be that you started um, with, with, with a particular implementation on um, maybe you, 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 you applied mail flow, mail flow rules on your exchange, on your exchange um, admin center, or your exchange tenant, you realize that mm, this actually applies um, to, to my greater stack and, it, and, and I have to include other technologies in this and it has to sit above that and actually has to sit within Azure, the rules that I'm applying. And then you, you're improving and then you're realizing that, okay, um, I'm looking at my full tech stack. I'm looking at what's important to me. I'm looking, and, and you develop that as you go along. So mm. to make your life easier, first thing, risk-based approach, Look at your policies and procedures, right? Then once you've done that, find which um, framework essentially or which regulatory requirements you have. If you're a stringent, uh, uh, if you're if you're stringently re regulated, like your insurance companies, your banking industries, um, you obviously know what you need to comply to, and your 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 assessment templates would probably be on Microsoft com on Compliance Manager anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but then then start looking for the regulatory framework afterwards. And once you've done mm -hmm. that, you'll start you'll see pretty quickly that um, a lot of these controls are like for like across the board. So Microsoft will have a single control, right? And we'll take the easiest one is MFA. Now, MFA satisfies a number of different controls across a number of frameworks. And what you're actually seeing and what you're actually doing is you, you're ticking a lot of the boxes or you're ticking a lot of the boxes by ticking one box. You're killing three yes. birds with one stone, right? And what that does is if you, have, if you go through multiple audits a year for specific requirements, you can show one control and one implementation that you're doing to satisfy that one control that applies across the board, right? And this means a lot to, um, to the guys in IT because we are registered, um, guys that sit in internal audit that have to manage the greater compliance of the organization. Uh -huh. And you start to flesh out and cut out um, a lot of the, 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 the excess fats within the organization. And you actually figure out that you can manage this very slim, but you can also be very particular uh -huh. and very risk, risk, um, risk, risk adverse about it. So it's, 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 it's an exchange, right? You will have to put in a bit of work to begin with, but once you get into the rhythm of things, it really is, um, it's something that can be managed quite well. And it's something that also becomes everyone's responsibility. I think the, 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 the perception is that information, information security and security is just the responsibility of the people, the cybersecurity specialists that are in the organization, but mm. it's actually everyone's responsibility. And I mean, if we use sensitivity labels, for example, where, you're empowering the user to, to, to understand the information management policy to say, okay, this document, what level of sensitivity does it have? What level of privacy do I have to inflict on it? And um, it, while they're working on it within, within Word or wherever they're working on it, really, they can apply a sensitivity label to it that'll say, hey, this is personal document. This is a financial document. This is confidential. This is et cetera. Mm -hmm. All the permissions will be applied to that object right uh, or if it's sitting in a container where you have the sensitivity uh, label applied to the container it's already taken care of and then that doesn't become anyone else's issue um down the line and that actually takes away the requirement to have an information management policy 
on paper because you've built it into the system that you work on every single day. So, yeah, that's. I think that's. that's I think what 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 was really important there as well is is that this isn't when you have the process of continual improvement, right? That should tell mm-hmm. people that this isn't. Um, it isn't an like a, a binary thing. You don't just go from exactly. not complying to compliant overnight and then happy days. Exactly. Like this is a yeah. this is a process that um, if you're doing it right, you're 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 kind of kicking the can on your maturity up, you know, down the road um, yeah. continuously, and you're just getting better at every audit cycle, right? Instead of going yeah. from you know nothing. But as you know, with information security, it's the same thing. You don't just buy a product and implement it. Now you are secure. Information exactly. security is all is is all around continuous improvement because the the threats that you're guarding against moves and they move with technology. Sure. And w- one of the the biggest things that we see is the the threats of automation and cloud scale against our customers and how do they they guard against that but i think that's a, a rabbit trail for another show squirrel squirrel <laughs> many squirrels so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to include this in in our show notes so that our viewers and our listeners can can see that and have a, a reference to it Rafaru, what i liked about what you positioned was it it gives our folks a place to start and it's a real world place to start as it just opposed to being massively overwhelmed and we actually don't know where to go so we are coming up to the the top of the hour and we want to respect that we we sadly have got time constraints because honestly we could wallow in this topic at <laughs> at at length and at breadth it's it's wonderful is there anything before we land the show that you would like to plug that you want how do you how do you want people to find you are you a, a linkedin person or would you prefer something on twitter what is it that you'd like to plug and how would you like to be found um i think my linkedin is probably the best place to go because that's where always that's always where um i take sort of reference articles from different industries and then make it relevant to another industry so if something big is released and on the law side related to it you know write a bit about it inform inform people that way and vice versa so i think linkedin is the best place for that and my name and surname are in the box below as you can see and yeah i have a quite a unique name so you will find me trust me <laughs> that's wonderful chris i don't know about you but Every time we have these kind of conversations, it is a, a, a horizon broadener for me. And it gives me so much to think about and to appreciate in, in customer conversations. Yes. And it, it also just, uh, it's a sobering reminder of the fact that there's just so much stuff that I just don't know, right? Like you, mm-hmm. no one person can know everything about everything. So I, oh, yeah. it's always great to be able to talk to folks who are, you know, very knowledgeable about certain areas of things that you know you I sometimes touch on, but don't don't ever really get very deep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, fantastic conversation, Rafara. Thank you very much. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. It's great. It was great. We we loved having you on the show, and I think this is definitely a a topic that we'd like to have a repeat on at some stage because compliance yeah. is something that moves, and our industry moves yeah. and flexes with that. Yeah. C- oh, CIS version eight is now out. We've moved up from 7.1, so maybe that's an idea for the next time. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for making the time to, to come to the show. And we sincerely appreciate the depth that you bring to this topic. And 
how you are able to articulate this into English for normal humans. Thank you all. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arch.